I don't know, but I think, I don't know, but I think, I think God wants me to preach a little bit about what I don't know this morning. And I don't know if you should have voted for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or that Gary Johnson guy or maybe anyone. I, I, just, I just don't know. I don't know much about tax codes, business, economics, healthcare systems. I don't know what immigration legislation is, is best. I do know that civil governments have been given the sword, and I do know that I'm to love my neighbor and even my enemies, but I don't know what legislation the principalities and powers of this world should adopt. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that God intimately cares about your sexuality. He cares about your marriages. He cares about your covenants. He cares about your babies, born and unborn. But I don't know what laws should be passed in that regard. If you ask me, well, okay, what would Jesus do if he were king? I'd say, he is king. And if you said, well, you know what I mean. I mean, what would he do if we like made him king of a country? Well, that's a difficult question to ask because once we tried to make him a king of a country, remember what he did? He ran away. So I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know much about legislation in a civil society or even a church. I don't know what classes we should offer. I don't know what groups we should provide. I don't know what missions we should support. I don't know how much that you should give. I don't know much about legislation in society or church or even my own heart. I don't know exactly how many beers is one too many beers. I don't know exactly what programs I'm allowed to watch and what programs I'm not allowed to watch. I don't know and I have trouble sorting it out. I don't know and I used to know before I got to know the word of God as well as I know it now I don't know and I'd like to know I don't know and you'd probably also like me to know because you call me your pastor some of you I don't know we'd all really like to know because we think that we're saved by our knowledge of good and evil I don't know and some of you must be thinking, golly, you're not very wise, are you? Actually, I really don't know. <laughs> but Solomon was wise, so let's figure out what he knows. Ecclesiastes 7.23, where we left off last time. As he puts it in chapter 2, verse 3, um, he, he, says, he says all this, and in chapter 2, verse 3, we understand what all this is. This is what he says. What is good for the children of Adam, that's the question he's asking, to do under heaven the few days of their life? So 7.23, all this knowledge of the good I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Solomon didn't know. And yet the Bible claims that he was very, very wise. Which reminds me of the book of Job, you know, which is also classified as wisdom literature along with the three books attributed to Solomon. God allows Satan to test Job, but Job doesn't know why. 
He has friends that show up and tell him why for 35 chapters, but Job still complains that he doesn't know why, he doesn't know. In 38, God shows up in a tornado, and for four chapters, he lets Job know that he doesn't know. Do you know about mountain goats? Do you know about the ice caps? Do you know about how I did this? Do you know how the earth is formed? Do you know, do you know, do you know? And it makes it clear that Job doesn't know. And then in the last chapter, God informs Job's friends that they don't know, but that Job has spoken what is right about him. So Job doesn't know stuff, but he does know God. Job has wisdom. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know something. Or, or someone. In Second Chronicles 1 and 1 Kings 3, the Bible describes how Solomon asked God for wisdom and knowledge. Uh, quote, the, the ability to discern between good and evil. So God gave Solomon wisdom. It must have been wisdom that taught Solomon that he couldn't make himself wise. And yet he is wise. In 1 Kings 3, right after scripture says that God gave Solomon wisdom, it cites this famous example. These two prostitutes come before the throne of Solomon, which is the judgment seat of Solomon, and uh, they have a baby with them, and they, they each claim that the baby is theirs because the other lady's baby died. Remember the story? And so what does Solomon do? He says, cut the baby in half. And one lady says, that's a good plan. And the other lady says, no, 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 no. Don't cut the baby in half. Give it to the other woman. And so the wisdom of Solomon judged between the false mother who acted in envy and the true mother who was acting in love. That was wisdom. But if you turn that into a law, it would just create more evil. Because what would the law be? Well, in paternity suits, custody battles, step one, cut the baby in half. That's a bad law. That's a bad law. Wisdom is like the knowledge of good and evil for a particular moment in time. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon wrote this. For everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So, how do you know what time it is? In a symphony, you can play the right note but play it at the wrong time. And it won't be beautiful. It will be ugly. Religious folks seem to do that all the time. I found the right note, they say, and then they play it all the time. They even judge all the other notes as wrong notes because they're sure that they have the right note for the symphony. That's many notes together. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly says scripture. Wisdom is like the knowledge of good and evil for a particular moment in time. Wisdom is like knowledge that's alive. Or perhaps 
dead but rises from the dead. The knowledge of good and evil is like dead wisdom with which you can do as you please. But actual wisdom is like living knowledge that may do with you as it pleases. Let me say that again. Knowledge of good and evil is like dead wisdom. Actual wisdom is like living knowledge. Scripture is clear that Jesus is wisdom. And wisdom is Jesus. So let's read these verses again, substituting the word Jesus for the word wisdom. All this, the good, and remember God is good. All this good I have tested by Jesus. I said, I will be Jesus. But it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep, like the foundation of all things. Who can find it out? Humanity took the life of Jesus on a tree in a garden testing God and we gained knowledge that we were not wise and we just killed wisdom. Eve and the first Adam took knowledge from the tree in the garden and learned that they were evil and God is good, but now he just seemed to be far from them. Solomon says, I will be wise. It's like he takes the life of wisdom and gains knowledge that no man does good. That's what he said in verse 20. And he learns that man is like a shadow. That's what he said in chapter 6, verse 12. Last week we talked about the shadow, remember? We talked about the me that I create. And I showed you this picture. St. Paul refers to this as the old Adam, the old man or false man, the shadow self is the self that I construct with my judgments. Listen closely. I take knowledge of good and evil in order to make choices and create myself in the image of God. That's called sin. All sin is the crucifixion of the Christ and the creation of an imitation Christ that I think is me. All sin is the judgment that I am salvation, which is the denial that God is salvation, which is literally the name of Jesus, Yahashua, Yeshua. In other words, I take the law in order to justify myself, but in fact condemn myself, crucify Christ, and create a false self in which I am imprisoned. I am the breath of God trapped in the me that I have created. But there is also a new and eternal me that God creates. I create the old by taking the life of wisdom on the tree in the garden, and God creates the new by giving the life of wisdom on a tree in a garden. I create my old false self with sin, and God creates my true new self with grace. You see, that's his judgment. He says it right at the very start. Let us make man, ha-adam, in our own image. My old Adam is constructed with my bad judgments and evil choices, sometimes called pride, shame, and fear. And my new Adam is constructed with God's judgment, which is good choices, often called faith, hope, 
and love. Right now, I am a mixture of both. Ah! Old man and new man. And so last week, we talked about how Solomon would go to the temple and that house of mourning would turn into a house of mirth for the judgment of God would destroy the old man and set the new man free. And we, and we talked about Romans and read Romans chapter 12. Present yourselves a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I shared a story of how I once walked into a fire in prayer and my old self was consumed and destroyed and my new self was, was set free. Paul writes that we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. Well, we put off the old man by exposing him to the judgment of God. But how do we put on the new man who is the judgment of God? The devil would like you to think that you can create the new man the way you created the old man. So the new man is just more old man that you now call the new man. In other words, a walking lie. He'd like you to think that self-righteousness is God's righteousness when in fact it's anti-righteousness. It's actually anti-Christ, which means imitation Christ, kind of like a whitewashed tomb. You cannot create the new man. And now I know that's frustrating, and, and I expect you to be frustrated, frustrated. Your old self is frustrated by the wisdom of God. But maybe your new self longs to express the wisdom of God. And so you're rightfully asking this question. You're wondering, how can I do that? How can I do the good? How can I be good, Peter? What can, what can I do, Peter? Can I even try? Can I even try? Hold that thought. Just hold that thought. And let's keep reading, okay? Next verse, Solomon can't find wisdom. Next verse, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness and folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God, literally is good before God, escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, logismos in the Septuagint, uh, the logos of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes, man upright and all women scheming. Sounds about right. Next verse. <laughs> who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation or meaning of a debar, a, a thing, a word? A man's wisdom, literally the wisdom of Adam, makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So let's map that out. Solomon says that he can't find wisdom and he doesn't know in chapter 7, 23 through 24. But then by chapter 8, verse 1, it's like Solomon found wisdom, or actually wisdom found Solomon and knew Solomon. And now Solomon's face like glows with wisdom. <laughs> so what the heck happened 
between 7.24 and 8.1? Well, either A, nothing happened, except that Solomon spewed some of the most misogynistic and self-contradictory rhetoric in all of ancient literature, or, or B, Solomon just reported seeing something which we find too good to be true. And Solomon may have found too good to be true. So just entertain this thought for a moment because even Bible commentators and pastors have a really hard time entertaining this thought. But just entertain this idea that Solomon sees wisdom and struggles to explain who he or she is. You know, in Proverbs, wisdom is female, and in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is female. He struggles to explain who he or she is and what he or she is doing. So so let's read it again, okay? Verse 27, Solomon says, Behold, it means look, see this. Do you see this? This is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, the logos of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One Adam who is good before God. I found one Adam who is good before God among a thousand. Uh, One Adam I found uh, among a thousand, but a woman among all these I have not found. Now we should note that Solomon had 1,000 women as bride. (laughs) That's what scripture says, thousand, dang. And we should note that the term a thousand is used figuratively in scripture for all. So God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That means if you've got a cow on a hill, God owns that cow. A thousand implies all. So among all, Solomon sees one Adam who is good before God. Yet he just told us in verse 20 that there is not a righteous Adam on earth who does good. So he's not seeing himself. Or is he? Like a different self. Well, verse 29. See, this alone I found. Solomon knows nothing but this. So at this point, this is the only thing Solomon knows. This alone I found, that God made Ha'adam, the man, upright, but they, plural, have sought out many schemes. They have sought out many schemes, just as Solomon just said many times he sought out the scheme of things, as if Solomon is one of the women, and yet Solomon is the Prince of Peace and the Son of David. So you see, a lot more is just going on here than some ancient misogynistic literature babble or something. Hopefully you remember, because it's deep and very deep. You may have read it but not believed it. Hopefully remember that God's commandment to Ha'adam is stated in Genesis chapter one. This is the commandment. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. In Genesis chapter two, scripture begins to describe how God makes man on the sixth day of creation. And God says, it's not good that the Adam is alone. As we noted, Adam is alone in the presence of God, who is love, who is the good, who is Adam's helper. But Adam doesn't recognize his helper. Over and over again in the Old Testament, it states that God alone is your helper. 
But ha-adam, humanity is alone. Do you see the problem? You cannot be fruitful and multiply without a helper. So God makes woman. She makes a woman from Adam's side. She really is not Adam's helper because she is simply more of he and he is simply more of she. Yet he and she are made male and female. Ha-adam is made male and female as a reference to Christ and his church. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and those bound to him by covenant are his bride and become his mother. So, back to our question. What can I do? How can I do the good and actually be good? I think we could, we could ask it this way. How, how can I love? Because love fulfills the entire law, right? It sums up everything that we are to do. The law describes love. The question is, how can I bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. How can I be fruitful and multiply and exercise loving dominion over all creation, thereby changing the world and fulfilling my purpose. Peter, what can I do? Listen. I understand the question because I've asked it a billion times. But right now I want to be very, very clear with the answer. Actually, several years ago, I made an instructional video in order to show you how to do the good. You see, my bride and I have been fruitful and multiplied. And so we made this home movie to show you how to be fruitful and multiply. Watch carefully. This is the moment. Well, dear, are you ready? Yes, Dr. Elevate me. Now, right here? Yes, yes, raise the platform. Oh, the platform, oh, that, yeah, yes. first crawled from the sea and shouted to the cold stars, I am man. Our greatest dread has always been the knowledge of our own mortality. But tonight, we shall hurl the gauntlet of science into the frightful face of death itself. Tonight, we shall ascend into the heavens. We shall mock the earthquake. We shall command the into the very womb of impervious nature herself. That's actually not how you make a person. That's how you make a monster. That's not how you make the new Adam. That's how you make the old Adam. 
the false man, the imitation man. I'm trying to say that you cannot make good choices. And if you think you do, you make yourself a monster. Likewise, you cannot make good people with legislation and policies and programs and your knowledge of good and evil. And if you think you do, you're simply making monsters and dictators and Pharisees. You understand? Explaining how it is that we are to live the Christian life and where it is that good deeds come from is exactly like explaining to a five-year-old where babies come from. You actually cannot make good choices, but you can and will give birth to good choices, and they are called wisdom. I couldn't actually show you how Susan and I made fruit. <laughs> because it happened in private and she gets all uptight about that. <laughs> it happened in the sanctuary of our covenant where we celebrate this intimate communion. And I actually can't show you how Jesus produces a good choice in you because it happens in private, in the garden of your heart when you surrender to him the word of God who is the promised seed, sperma, in Greek, just to be clear. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he is wisdom. St. Paul wrote, listen to this. Now this should blow your mind. If it doesn't, you're probably not listening. Don't, don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit, ruach, wind, with him. That's him who is wisdom. Yeshua, which is Aramaic for Joshua, which in English is Jesus, which in all languages means Yahweh or Jehovah is my helper. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua gathers all of Israel at Shechem, and he says this, Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all the people say, we will also serve the Lord. Next verse, Joshua says, you are not able to serve the Lord. Who does Joshua think he is? Logically, the only way they can choose to serve the Lord, who is the good, is to become part of Joshua's house, which means somehow like becoming his body and his blood, which would mean becoming Joshua's bride, or it would mean being like adopted or born again as his brother, sister, son, daughter, or maybe mother. Jesus said this, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. When you do the will of God, that means you have been like impregnated by Jesus. And you give birth to Jesus. God's will in flesh. Christ's spirit, the spirit of God in flesh. The body of Christ. I'm saying that the word of God, which is the will of God, which is the wisdom of God, is alive, living, and active. 
You know, there've been a few times in prayer, praying for people, when, a, when an idea, a logos, has like popped into my head. I've spoken it and realized that, the, that it, was the, it was the word of God because it like cut through a person or it made demons flee. And, and I've had this distinct impression at that point that I didn't make that word. But that word was making me. I didn't speak that word. As much as God spoke a word that was me speaking wisdom. And I bet you speak wisdom every day. It's not only when a miracle happens, it's any time that you speak in faith, hope, and love. I bet you speak the good and do the good every day. But you probably don't remember doing the good because you weren't trying to do the good. But on judgment day, Jesus will say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. And and you'll say, I don't remember that. See, maybe you don't remember that because you weren't trying to be good. You just were good. In the language of Ecclesiastes, God had given you the power to enjoy the good if you must try to be good because you don't enjoy the good it means that you fake the good in order to gain the bad (laughs) which is not very good so last week a few people asked me well (laughs) crap it sounds like you're saying I shouldn't even try should I even try Peter should I even try listen very closely yes You should try to do the good like a two-year-old tries to dance because she wants to dance and she likes dancing. You should try to do the good. Yes, you should try to do the good the way a mother tries to push out a baby because she wants to hold that baby. She longs for that baby, but she knows she alone cannot make a baby. So yes, six days you shall labor. And one day you shall not labor. You shall Shabbat, stop, sit before the judgment of God. You get the picture? I am a mixed bag, and you are a mixed bag. We're all a mixed bag. Some new man, some old man, some goodwill, some bad will. And like Jesus said, we cannot separate the wheat from the tares, even in the field that is our own heart. Well, if you want to be good, if anything in you wants to be good, if, if nothing in you wants to be good, you're, you're totally lost. You don't even want to be in the image of God. But if you want to be good at all, then try to be good. Willing the good with whatever goodwill you got. Even if it's the size of a seed, size of a seed, we'll use it to will the good. In other words, labor. Labor because the goodwill in you is struggling against the evil in you. Labor and then sit before the judgment of God. That means expose your mixed up self to the light that is Jesus. Say something like this. Jesus, I'm a mess. I can't even sort it out. You're faithful to your bride. I think I've been fantasizing about another bride, Jesus. Help me. I don't know, I don't even know how to sort it out. Father, you love your children. I'm sick of my children. Help me sort it out. 
you're humble. But I was criticized this week, and it, it's really annoying me, and I, I don't even know how to sort it out. I can't sort it out. You speak truth in love. I, I need wisdom because I don't know how to speak truth in love. God, I confess me, and I need you. See, the judgment of God is the light that exposes the old man and the fire that burns him away. Grace does not validate your old man. Grace destroys your old man. The judgment of God is light that exposes him and the fire that burns him away. And the judgment of God is Jesus who meets his bride in her place of shame as if it were a womb. And he impregnates that empty place with himself as if he is promised seed. And he is. He is wisdom. All I'm saying is labor, then stop. Confess your sin and receive God's grace. Labor, stop, confess your sin and receive God's grace. Labor, stop, confess your sin and receive God's grace and you will give birth to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You will give birth to more and more good choices. You will give birth to the will of God, which is the judgment of God. You will give birth to love, and God is love. You will give birth to wisdom in flesh, the very body of Christ. In other words, you will know because you've been known. You will love because he first loved you. You will know not because you took knowledge and fear trying to create yourself, justify yourself, and save yourself. You will know because wisdom gave himself to you in your place of shame. You will know because you've been known by love. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. And wisdom responds, I have loved you since before the world began. And I have arranged everything that you would sing, that you would sing that song to me. You cannot win my love, for I have always given you my love. You just could not yet receive my love. So I consigned all to disobedience, that I might have mercy on all, that all might see my judgment of love and desire my love and surrender to my love and bear my life, which is more love. Wisdom is Jesus. And Jesus is the eschatos Adam, whom God made the life-giving spirit. You see, if Jesus is the eschatos Adam, I think that makes all of us like the eschatos Eve. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is the husband and Jerusalem is his bride actually a harlot that he turns into his bride. In the New Testament, Jesus is the bridegroom and we are his bride 
sinners that he turns into saints. He makes his bride where? At his bleeding side. If Jesus is the eschatos Adam, I think that makes all of us the eschatos Eve. In the garden, Eve schemed to take the knowledge of the good in order to make herself good in the image of God. You see, in some profound way, the good God in flesh must have been like hanging on that tree. That is, wisdom in flesh must have been like hanging on that tree. Jesus, our husband and our helper, must have been hanging on that tree in the garden and like a harlot, she took his life to make her own life. And that describes you and me and all of humanity. It describes all our sin. For on a tree in a garden in perhaps the very same spot, according to Orthodox Jews, because they thought this was a temple mount, on a tree in a garden, we took the life of wisdom, lusting for knowledge that we could control. And there God gave the life of wisdom so we would surrender control to him who is wisdom and life and love. And that describes all our sin and all God's grace. Is there we consume his body broken? It's there we consume his body broken and bloodshed like a seed. And it's there in the garden that is our heart that the seed comes to life and rises from the dead as if our hearts were a womb or our souls were a womb uh, from which Jesus rises and bursts forth. Wisdom in us is God's life rising from the dead in us. It's knowledge of evil and good that's no longer dead but now alive. We're the bride of wisdom and the mother of wisdom and we're giving birth to the body of Christ. So a believer doesn't just have knowledge of the good. They are the living presence of the good and they speak the good and do the good at the right time in the right place for they are surrendered to the good, the living good. He is wisdom. In other words, we know because we've first been known. We love because he first loved us. And check this out. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what can you do? Nothing. And what can love in you do? Everything, right? All things are possible for him who believes, for him who trusts in love, and God is love. You know this already. It's not a government program that changes the world. It's not some legislation passed by the U.S. House or Senate. It's not some knowledge of good that they can write down in some book in the legislature what is it? It's a word of love spoken from a dying man hanging on a tree to the ones who nailed them to that tree. It's the word of love then spoken or shared in a hug or a glance, a hug or a glance that you just can't fake. It just comes out of you. 
It's the logos of love, the reason of love, the idea of love, who is alive and active. It's the wisdom of God that animates you when you believe. You know, if people think that you give them a hug because it's part of some church program, you you won't be a witness to love. But if you give them a hug because you enjoy the good, well, then they just might encounter the good and then seek the good and surrender to the good who is wisdom and the scheme of all things. So I'm grateful to C.S. Lewis and Karl Barth, and you should be grateful for your preacher. You should be um, stuff like that, Billy Graham, because they explain love. I'm grateful for them because they explain love, but I have met love in people like my dad and my mom and my youth pastor and you. And so I mean this entirely sincerely. I hope you know that you are the church missions program. Sometimes people will ask me, Peter, how can I help the church? Just tell me, how can I help the church? Listen closely. This is my best answer. I think it may be my only answer. Come to the sanctuary. Let yourself be judged by Jesus. Then commune with Jesus. And you will be known by Jesus. Period. For if you trust his love, then you will love. And love does everything. And if you say, yeah, 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 right, 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 I got that, but what does that look like? I'll say, well, I have some ideas, but I don't know, I don't know. You are the body of wisdom. So let me sum up. You can't make good choices, but you can and will give birth to good choices. You can't build the body of Christ, but you can and will give birth to the body of Christ. You can't create yourself, but you are giving birth to yourself. Your, your true eternal self. So check this out. Solomon couldn't find wisdom or comprehend wisdom, but wisdom found Solomon and Solomon became wisdom. Solomon is the prince of peace. It, or he, it means, I shouldn't say, he, he, Solomon means prince of peace. That's what the word actually means. So Solomon, that old Solomon was a shadow of the true Solomon the Prince of Peace and the Son of David. And Solomon built a temple which was a shadow of the body of Christ, which was also Solomon and you. And Solomon had a thousand scheming brides, a shadow of the bride of Christ, who is also Solomon, who is also you. Solomon is like a womb in which the true Solomon is revealed. Solomon said, I will be wise. That's Solomon's judgment. And wisdom said, I will be Solomon. And that's God's judgment. Solomon had one other name. It was given to him by Nathan the prophet. Do you remember what it was? Class, anyone? Butthead? No, what? Jedediah, that's right, John knows. Jedediah, it means beloved of the Lord. You may not know about much, but if you know that you are beloved of the Lord, you are wise. You no longer judge, and yet you are God's judgment. You are the living body of wisdom, 
walking through this fallen world. And I, I really don't know who you should have voted for. And I don't know what legislation should be passed. And actually, I don't think it matters. You know, wisdom was born in the worst political environment that you could ever imagine. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a food trough. The principalities and powers of this world opposed him his entire life. And at the end of his life, the legislature, I'm talking the political legislature and the religious legislature, they, they schemed together and nailed him to a tree in a garden. And that was the end. And the beginning. For at the start of that day, the sixth day, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup, this is the, this is the covenant, covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, you are not saved by your knowledge of good and evil. You are saved by the good. And now you know him. He is wisdom. So come to the table and commune with him. And then let's sing his praises. And never stop. Amen does not mean this is the end. Amen means for sure. Amen, amen, amen. Do you know what holy means? Yeah, set apart, different, strange, weird. And God is holy. He's different than you. He's absolute love, and yet he's making you in his image. The way he does it is a little freaky and scary, but absolutely wonderful. Because right now, you are pregnant with holiness. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? In fact, God allows you to have a bad week. <laughs> Do you know why? Well, I, I mean, I can't totally explain this, but I think this is a reason. So you will come to him and say, I need wisdom. I need you, Jesus. And he's waited since the foundation of the world to hear you say that. And in this world, we're learning to say that. We're learning uh, to depend on him as he transforms us from one degree of glory to another. We love because he first loved us, since the foundation of the world. So you see, it's not okay for you to think God doesn't love me. Do you get that? It's not okay. I mean, that's one thing I learned praying through weird demonic crap and all that stuff. It is not okay for you to think God does not love you. It is not okay for you to think that God has not forgiven you. It is not okay for you to think that God is not attracted to you. Now, you, this is amazing, but at communion, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night he did the Last Supper, he says this in Luke. 
And, and you know, there's all language, but the word that gets translated love, ep- epithumia, means intense desire. He, he says to his disciples, in lust I have lusted to eat this meal with you. <laughs> that's, that's nuts. That's holy. And that's how God feels about you. So all I'm saying is believe the gospel. It means good news. God is nuts about you. You have been known by love, and you will love in Jesus' name. Amen.